This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Alexandra Kovesh and Attila Satmari, both from the Corvinus University of Budapest, on exploring sustainability in sport. In the first part, we discussed a lot of interesting theoretical concepts and looked at some of the challenges and problems in sport, as well as some possible ways to rethink these activities. But on the second part... Uh, we will be looking at some really interesting recent empirical research that my guests have done and that also how these research participants have imagined a more sustainable future for sport. So welcome back to the podcast, Alexandra and Attila. Hello. Hello. And yes, like I mentioned would be really nice now to kind of dive into this backcasting methodology. And Sandra, this is something that you worked on on various projects. And I'm not familiar with it before, but I found it really exciting. So could you give us uh, a bit of background, what the methodology is and what it can do for us? Sure, happily. Um, backcasting is a, is a scenario building methodology. And um, well, it's a, it's a it's a kind of foresight methodology. It deals uh, with how we can imagine uh, uh, the future. And um, when obviously it's a, it's a it's a game with the word uh, forecasting, backcasting. And in terms of forecasting, when we do forecasting, we look at the the trends and tendencies in the in the present, and look towards the future, trying to see what might happen in the future based on these current trends. Now, backcasting is the opposite. Backcasting says we have to look into the future. We have to see um, what kind of future we want and work our way back from that future, from that normative future, work our way back to the present and see what we can do today in order to uh, influence our trends and tendencies to reach the vision that we want to have. So the, the main difference between like forecasting and, and backcasting is that when, when we look at forecasting, we kind of, we are, humans are just riding the waves, riding the trends, riding the tendencies. In backcasting, we realize that, that the future is something that we are making. We are the agents. 
And what we do today or what we don't do today, that influences our future. Uh, this is why it's a really good tool uh, when, we, when we have a problem that when we look at the current trends and tendencies, we don't get to a future that we really like. So when we look at sustainability problems, that, that's often the case. The trends show us that we're not going to the right direction. So we can just switch the question, turn it around and say, okay, what future do we want and what can we do now and in 10 years time and 20 years time in order to reach that future? Now, we might never reach it, but we have a better chance of doing that if we know what we want and if we are ready to intervene at certain points. And this is the logic of backcasting. Thank you, Sandra. It really sounds interesting. It sounds to me that this is something that you could quite fruitfully use in, for example, workshops or teaching purposes as well. So is this what you've done or is it is it more like a research tool for you? So what we used was a participatory backcasting. And participatory backcasting is normally used uh, in research. So trying to figure out what stakeholders think of the future and what kind of intervention steps they can plan in order to reach that future. And um, but when but participation and participatory research methods often have this spin-off uh, benefit of providing social learning environments as well. So participants go through a lot of uh, uh, dialogue debate and they learn not just about themselves, but about the opportunities and the ways they, they think of the world. So, uh, so yes, uh, um, when we decided that we were going to do this research, we thought it would be great to do it in an educational environment just because then we can combine both methods. Uh, and we have actually produced a, a scientific paper on the methodology as well, like using foresight uh, research methods in education, as well as the research results of what, uh, what our participants, that our, our students think of a possible future, normative future um, of sports. Mm -hmm. Great. So now we have a bit of introduction to to the methodology. Would you, Attila, maybe just say a little bit about the research process, and then you can start taking us to to your findings and and what your students came up with, what kind of themes and what kind of ideas in terms of this more sustainable uh, vision. Yes, definitely. Uh, actually, it was a quite intensive a three days course with the student and the first days was about the vision the sustainable sport vision creation uh, actually uh, the sustainable future was projected in 2050 so it's a quiet uh, untouchable distance from now uh, and uh, we use the word cafe method uh, for that it means that we had uh, different groups with uh, rotating uh, students and everyone could share their thoughts on the different topics. And we created a vision. It was about uh, uh, almost uh, 1,000 words uh, with the sustainable 
Sport Future Vision. And on the second day, we try to identify steps leading to that uh, kind of vision back from the future. And uh, we tried to to identify those steps in a different uh, time horizon. What should we do now? What we uh, should do in 10 or 20 years time to achieve that vision? And uh, on the last day, we created a systematic map on that vision with uh, different variables, actually in uh, 53 different variables. And then we uh, we just uh, made two groups uh, regarding the results. We had the environmental sustainability part uh, results and the main points, the main topics on that uh, was regarding the sharing economy, which we already told or Sandra already told about i i would say that this was the the focus point on that uh, conversation that how can we uh, decrease the environmental footprint uh, regarding uh, the sport events or the sport equipments or the transportation of the athletes or or the supporters uh, with helping the sharing economy uh, economy tools also, the multifunctionality was a quite interesting topic uh, where the students were talking about uh, how to have facilities with flexible capacity and how to support the social equality. For example, uh, people with reduced mobility or elderly young children as a priority, how they can be uh, in a multifunctionality way. Also, the event organization, we also uh, mentioned that before that the Olympic Games, how can we have a sustainable uh, multi-scale events uh, using, for example, based on ecological footprint generator or having local decisions, global referendums, deciding uh, having an Olympic Games in a, a different location or not having regarding the economical or uh, ecological impact. And also an important part was the localization which uh, is about the environmental sustainability as well and uh, how to make decisions uh, in in local and how to have those in local, later national and global level. Also, a very important part was the technology, the role of the technology. And uh, actually, the most important part, I think, was that uh, most of the students was quite uh, technology optimistic, which means that they they thought that... uh, all the issues can be solved by the developing technologies. And um, they were quite optimistic regarding the technology can help to promote the eco opportunities uh, uh, and also uh, can be good uh, uh, in uh, giving equal opportunities for different uh, social classes. And they also, also said that the, the robot human uh, competition will going to be exist and will be an interesting topic in the future. Uh, and also in result, there's a social sustainability part. For example, the the impact of sport on individual and social responsibility, the role model uh, kind of scenario for athlete is a very interesting point. Uh, the main interesting part for me who are researching the individual viewpoint of the athletes was that uh, they really think that uh, athletes who are successful and earning a lot of money, they uh, they can be a role models and they they are happy and they they have the so-called well-being as well. So 
So the viewpoint of the students was for me really interesting and mainly from that individual athlete's role model and also the technology optimistic part because from Digo's perspective and from our research uh, experience, maybe it's not too close to uh, the real life, but uh, they were quite optimistic on that. And the dimension of athletes being role models, did it was it more related to this sustainable social sustainability or was there an expectation that athletes would be sort of role models also in relation to this ecological dimension? They thought that uh, that they they should act as a responsible person regarding the nature and uh, if they act so they will have an impact on on all the supporters all the youngs and uh, in this way they can they can uh, create so called consciousness regarding sustainability so their role could be could be that way and i think it's true because if we if i can give just a simple example when cristiano ronaldo just uh, chose the bottle of water uh and not the soft drink uh, they had a real impact on the youngs and it's it's a simple and not not hundred percent sustainability example because while we are drinking bottle of water we can drink uh, without bottle but uh, but it shows that they have a real impact on on the followers but there is also a lot of expectations maybe even pressure for athletes to you know be role models and not only play well in sports so they also have to be moral and uh, like this sustainability role model so it's a lot of expectations put on athletes yeah and um, if i can give just some more thoughts i have a different uh, research i was making deep interviews with uh, with elite uh, hungarian olympic champions for example and uh, asking them how they can uh, see their career and the most important thing and interesting one was when i i asking them if uh, they would be happy if their child would do the same career as they did uh, most of them said no it means that uh, the they were not satisfied with the results if we just checking the trade-offs and everything they needed to to neglect because of the sporting career and uh, i think it shows that uh, that a future orientation a career planning and these kind of things is missing mostly for the elite athletes and what we are seeing outside that they are uh, having lots of money and uh, good results it's not enough and maybe it's not enough for for well-being for happiness and for an individual sustainability life Yeah, I, I think that's a really, really interesting finding as well. Uh, I'll switch to, I think the other topic you mentioned was interesting was technology. I also found it interesting reading your paper and this optimistic view that we can use technology to fix things. And as you, Sandra, in the first part of the conversation mentioned that in kind of the mainstream perspective on sustainability, this kind of positive view on technology is something that prevails. But if you think of sustainability more from this degrowth perspective, what what are the different positions on technology and how could we relate to the promises and dangers of technology from from the degrowth perspective? Yes, I I think, uh, first of all, I would like to point out that uh, when, when you're doing participatory education or participatory research, 
the beautiful risk of participatory education is that you don't know what's going to come out of it. You cannot, you cannot frame the topics. And if you, in, if you intervene in any way with your own thoughts, then you're losing the whole point of the exercise. So, uh, so even though, you know, we were, we were pretty pro-degrowth, um, we were in this, uh, in this process as facilitators So we couldn't come up with our own ideas like, okay, let's, let's talk about this as well. We just had to go with the flow. And uh, for example, a degrowther, the first question a degrowther would probably ask is, what is the meaning of sport? What, why are we doing this? Why do we need this? And what do we need? What, what, what purpose does it serve? And, um, and our students had a very strong entertainment focus, a very strong entertainment focus. Um, and, uh, and this kind of, there was a, a strong entertainment focus. And the, the secondary one is something that probably degrowthers would start promoting is the community building uh, role of sports. There is, a, there is a word in, in degrowth that, that we use quite often, and the word is conviviality. So living with others, enjoying time with others. And this conviviality part is, is really important, and this community building part is really important. And even though they were talking about this uh, uh, quite a lot, this kind of entertainment focus uh, uh, came back again and again and again. And this is where techno optimism comes 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 in. Like they were, they were they were saying, well, people will just enjoy watching sports in halls where everyone will have every seat will be fitted with some kind of gadget where they can actually vote on what's happening on on the court. Or you see, so this is like a like an additional entertainment feature of sport. And for, for not, not for one second did they think of the ecological footprint of producing these kind of gadgets. And this is what degrowthers would probably point out, that no, you don't need more gadgets. You need to get back to the, The, the main purpose of enjoying our time together, conviviality, and where, if we're sitting next to each other uh, playing with a gadget while watching a game, then we're losing this kind of conviviality. So convivial technology is some, a little, something a little, little different, but that's what degrowthers uh, 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 talk about. And also, like, like, they talked a lot about moving into the virtual world. Like we probably don't need to to go and see that many games because we can all just have our own VR facilities at home and then we can enjoy all enjoy the game as if we were there. Now, obviously, that will reduce the ecological footprint of going to places, but you know, it won't reduce the overall um, ecological footprint just because we need again, a lot of new gadgets. And that's probably going to take us away from conviviality rather than, than building it. So, um, yes. <laughs> yes. And so 
what I'm learning today is the degrowth perspective is really asking what what do we need? What are the purpose of different things in our lives, the different activities, and challenging us to rethink some of these purposes and meanings. I found it really import, uh, interesting in the first part, for example, thinking what what do we need for our well-being and you know perhaps sporting activities can be part of this <laughs> sustainable way of uh, pursuing well-being that doesn't need to involve this consumerism and then conviviality a different concept that you now explained also resonates can we find something else from the degrowth literature that you find some being quite directly relevant and quite applicable to sport is there are there some key ideas or your favorite ideas that you would like to kind of introduce to sport researchers and help us to maybe expand our thinking along those lines i think what also our students realized is that we can't really well we really need to relocalize uh attila already mentioned this but i i would uh i would emphasize this again that we continue thinking of sport as, as something that is 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 more and more globalized but on the other hand if we want the meaning of sport to be community building, then we need to start thinking of um, of local events and 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 local involvement. Like you know, a lot of people um, uh, being fans of of Barcelona is 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 really nice, but it's not community building uh, in the original sense of of the word. So uh, and and of course uh, uh, the the idea of of the sharing economy would would also uh, resonate with with degrowth researchers and um, and students were deliberating on that quite a lot that we don't always have to own everything and this is so true in sports um, that you know we want to own our sports equipment we want to have our own gym in our own house and this is this is something that really goes against sustainability so we need to think of of sport as a as a as a public luxury and and put a lot of common uh community effort into really building it a public luxury for me, if I can add uh, something, the one of the favorite uh, part and topic was accessibility, which I can think and translate from degrowth to to sports uh, world quite uh, well. In the backcasting analysis, it was about uh, the equal opportunities, the freedom of choice when someone wants to try new sports and there's an economic barrier or or just other barriers. Uh, I think that uh, the technology can help and. Uh, really in the way, not a technology optimistic way, but a more environmental conscious way, we can just eliminate those barriers to mass sports, for example. And and people who, who can really have a more complete life doing sports, for example, golf or tennis, which cannot be accessible because of the 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 economic barriers can be accessible 
due, um, for example, using the VR technology or these kind of things. I think it's it's a kind of good vision, and uh, also can can be uh, social mobility generating things if people from from a background uh, can uh, can really uh, more mobile uh, social wise uh, and and reach their goals and make a, a complete life um, and and go f- for a more sustainable and more well-being and more happy life uh, with the help of these uh, these uh, accessibility through sports either recreational or or elite professional sports yeah I think this is such a rich research area and especially it's uh, exciting to see how you are applying your work or your approach more from the economics perspective. And I think this interdisciplinary dialogue will have so much to offer for us in the future. So, yeah, I really look forward to seeing um, the direction you're taking in your work. Do you have some plans to do more research in the sport context? Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, for example, this backcasting project, which we just uh, did with the students, can be done with experts as well. And I think it, it could be very interesting to see what are the differences in vision and in, in results in main topics when we are having experts on the field, ex-athletes or current professional athletes or just someone who are working in uh, sport, elite sport systems or or different organizations. That would be interesting and a good benchmark, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, and if Attila if Attila is going to do that, I'm going to support him wholeheartedly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but <laughs> but uh, yes, um, I'm I'm doing uh, I'm doing backcasting in in many different areas just to map out the different segments of, of society and of the economy. Um, and um, and sport for me was was just just one of these one of these areas uh, something that I personally like or or uh, uh, I am I am drawn to. Is there a section of society you explored many of them that seems to be progressive and something that we can perhaps look into for for some inspiration? Well, to be honest, I think. Um... I think uh, the economy is is not yet uh, following degrowth paths, <laughs> but it's definitely in, in in none of none of the areas. But it's uh, it's definitely something everyone and every segment of society and and all academics should really look into because I think it's coming whether we like it or not. Yeah. Excellent. I've really enjoyed our conversation. I will link your article. You have many other works as well. So I'll put a few few links to the research that you produced and definitely Sandra's podcast as well, which I think will be a lot of inspiration for those interested in exploring these things further. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it also. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Through Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. 
This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.